guys. Well, I am Pastor Anthony, like she said, and this is the Vine Campus of New Day Community Church. Good to see you. And I bet you can't guess what series we're in the middle of. Huh? Huh? Okay, it's the upward journey. In spite of all the tech problems we've had tonight, it is up there. We are doing a year-long series on spiritual growth. Yes, a year is too long to do one series. So we split it into three. The inward journey, the upward journey, and the outward journey at four months each. Yes, four months is too long to do one series. So we split the mini-series into mini-series. So the mini-mini-series that we are on today is God and the Psalms, which we'll get to in just a minute. But here is the upward journey in a nutshell. We get it right out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is Paul writing. And he says, listen, Corinthians, this is, this is what we're trying to do. We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Somebody say being transformed. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The upward journey is about beholding and becoming. See, we have a catchphrase. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to tell you how long we discussed what the catchphrase should be at the staff meeting. But we decided on one, and this is it. So as we get to know God, as we spend time with Him, as He rubs off on you, you become like the company you keep, right? So if you keep company with God, what's logically going to happen? You're going to become like God. That's the idea. So even though the upward journey is mostly focused on God, we want to get to know Him. What is He like? We just finished a series on the attributes of God, which was awesome. I encourage everybody to get online and listen to those. But as we learn about God, let's remember, we're supposed to be like Him. Amen? Amen. So we are in July, which means we are talking about God in the Psalms. How can we see God in these ancient poems? Psalms are really just very old poems. They were put to music and used in worship. And last week I said, if you've ever been angry or upset or really repentant about something, or if you've ever thought something was really unjust and you were ticked off, you understand a good deal about the concept of the Psalms. You can pretty much just dive right in. But today's is a little special. Today, we're going to talk about Psalm 46. Now, I would ask something ridiculous, like, who's read Psalm 46? But there's like 150 plus Psalms, so I'm, I'm just not going to be that silly. Psalm 46 is a great psalm. It's, it's famous, but a lot of us don't know it's famous. You hear a line or two from a psalm and you say, oh, it's that one, right? This is the Be Still and Know I'm God psalm. This is the psalm, ah, I got an ah from the back. This is the psalm that inspired the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, by Martin Luther. When he wrote that awesome classic hymn, he was thinking of this psalm. And this psalm needs a little more context, in my opinion, than just emotion. So I'm going to give you some, okay? Story time, mini story time. Imagine it's a couple thousand years ago. Imagine you're in the city of Jerusalem. It's hot, it's dry, it's a desert. Imagine you are surrounded by the worst people on earth, the Assyrians, okay? The Assyrian army is sweeping through the known world. They are conquering everybody, and it's your turn. They are camped outside. You get up in the morning, and everyone is afraid because you look out past the wall, and there's an angry army that's doing terrible, nasty things to the people that they conquer. You especially don't want to be the king of the people that they conquer. There's kids in the room. I'll not talk about the kind of stuff they used to do, but look into it if you want. You don't want these people at your doorstep. So King Hezekiah from Jerusalem gets a letter from the guy in charge of this army. And the letter says this. 
Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the king of Assyria has done to all the other lands, devoting them to destruction. Should you be delivered? Have the gods of any of the other nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar. Where's the king of Hamath? Where's the king of Arpad? The king of the city of Sepharvim. I think I said that right. How about the king of Hena? I added that. How about? Or the king of Eva? So his point is, we're going to destroy you like we're destroying everyone, like we've destroyed everyone else. Don't be dumb. Don't act like your God is going to save you when none of these other gods of these other people save them. So the king gets this letter and responds this way. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. So you're in Jerusalem. You're under siege. The worst people in the world are going to say they're going to conquer you like they conquered everybody else. This is impending doom, guys. Real and present danger. You would be terrified for your life or worse. Hezekiah gets the letter, takes it to the temple, and puts it before the Lord. Why did he do that? He did that because even though he was in a fortified city, in reality, God was his security. God was his security. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I want to bring this into our lives, our everyday lives, and I want to challenge us. Is God really our security? Maybe it used to be and you put your trust in some other things or maybe he never really has been. You don't know quite how to tap into that. It seems kind of weird, but we're going to talk about that tonight. Are you guys ready? Yes. Awesome, excellent. That was the correct response. I have yet to get a no or a maybe or a hold on. All right, diving in. Here we go. I'm reading the whole psalm. It's just 75 verses. Joke. Psalm 46. This is out of the extra snooty version. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. And Selah there means rest, pause, reflect. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. This is God speaking at the end of the psalm. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This psalm is written in three complete stanzas that have a unified theme, but each convey a slightly different idea. We're going to dive into all three individually. We will waste no time. We're starting right into the first one. After we talk about this main theme, what does it mean that God is our security? Oh, geez, I don't have my, all my slides up in order. I skipped one. I guess I don't have my whole presentation memorized. You caught me. 
You got me. These are our three points. I know it's security. Get him out of here. Poser. These are the three points, guys. We need to know that God is our security when the worst is actually happening. When you're in the midst of it. We need to know that God is our security when it's about to happen. When the enemy is surrounding. When there is definite impending doom and you are trapped. You need to know that God is your security. And you need to know that God is your security because ultimately he's going to work peace through total victory. This is not the peace that's the absence of conflict. This is the peace because there has been a definite winner. And that winner is God. We're going to hit all three of these. Now let's talk about this recurring theme. What does it mean that God is our our refuge? Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. This is an interesting word, refuge. And we'll see that later it actually morphs. It gets stronger. It's not just a refuge, refuge, but verses 7 and 11 say that the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Remember, Martin Luther said a mighty fortress is our God. So refuge is not quite as strong a word as fortress, but by the time we get to the end, we'll understand the poetic shift, okay? This word for refuge really just means a refuge, a shelter from the rain or a storm, a place to hide from danger. It can also mean figuratively a hope or a, sh- or a shelter or something you put your trust in. So a fantastic example of what this refuge might be was... Uh, and actually, Job 24.8. Job 24.8 talks about people who are drenched by rains and they hug the rocks for lack of shelter. They couldn't get out of the storm. Same thing in Isaiah 4, 5b to 6. Over everything, the glory, this is speaking figuratively, figuratively of God's glory. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. It will be a shelter and shade from the heat of day and a refuge and hiding place from the storm and rain. Here's what that might look like. Does anybody recognize this other than me? No? This is the A-frame. If you ever climb Pikes Peak via the bar trail, which is much longer and harder than my wife and I expected, right at the tree line, just over 11,000 feet, this is there to save your life. The bar trail is one of the most dangerous trails in America, not because it's that grueling, not because it has venomous snakes or wild animals, but because there's so many dang thunderstorms. Believe it or not, people die every year getting zapped by lightning because they're a thousand feet above the tree line and can't seek shelter in time. So they built this A-frame at the tree line for you to retreat to, literally to save your life. And I noticed this was taken on a, a rainy afternoon, so it looks like somebody was taking advantage of it here. But this is a refuge, right? This is what they're talking about. God is supposed to be that for you. You know, when life gets a little hard, you seek the Lord. So let's talk about what that means when the worst happens. This is really weird not being able to see the next slide. Really bizarre. Bear with me. It's still going to be great. Verses 2 and 3. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. We're going to shrink it, and then we're going to talk about it. This is really, really bad. This is not simply poetic imagery. This is stock imagery in the ancient world. And the Psalms do this a lot. They borrow stock imagery from the culture. That shouldn't weird us out. Everybody knows what they're talking about when they do that. This means that chaos is erupting everywhere. If you would have read this when it was written, you would have understood what they're saying. The absolute worst thing you could possibly imagine is happening. The ocean, which represents chaos 
has taken on a life of its own. It is literally overtaking the world. Chaos is ensuing. Creation is literally being uncreated before your very eyes. This is the worst possible thing that could happen. It's a total descent into chaos. And the rest of the psalm implies that this imagery is actually meant to represent a real military threat capable of undoing Israel completely. Spoiler alert, people think the psalm was written during the time I opened with, during that siege when Assyria was right outside Jerusalem. We think that may have inspired this psalm. But if this is happening, the worst thing in the world is happening. And it's in the midst of your... I mean, do you need God to be a rain shelter? Is that A-frame going to cut it? Okay, the oceans are rising, the mountains are crumbling, and you hide here? It's probably not going to work. And this is why we see the poetic shift from rain shelter to fortress, because this is a more accurate picture of what is actually happening in Jerusalem. This probably catches the, the guts of what they're feeling. The entire world is against them. The ocean is rising and threatens to overtake everything they know. They need a sure place to hide. And I love this picture because if you look at the dude close enough, he's leaning against the wall with his hands in his pockets. He's chilling. Now, I saw that picture and I was scared for the guy. This guy has been through enough storms in that lighthouse to know that the lighthouse is a safe fortress from the waves. He's not worried about it because the lighthouse is his security. Amen? See where I'm going with that? Uh huh, uh huh. Let's keep this in mind. Let's bring it home. Are you in chaos? Verse 2 says, Therefore we will not fear. I changed it to I. Therefore I will not fear, though. Though what? What does it look like to have total chaos in your life? What does it look like to have the worst possible thing actually happening? Glad you asked. I have some selections here. Therefore I will not fear, though CPS is involved. Don't raise your hands if you've been there. I'll do it for you. (laughs) Therefore, I will not fear, though I'm in the midst of a divorce. Therefore, I will not fear, though my new boss hates me and is crazy. I've also been there. Therefore, I will not fear, though I realize I can't beat the addiction. Therefore, I will not fear, although I can't find work and the savings are drying up. Though I have to be out in two weeks and have no place to go. Though my children are rebelling and breaking my heart. I will not fear. And you can insert whatever has actually happened in your life in this place. The worst thing possible actually happening. And what does it say? Therefore, I will not fear. I will not fear. The psalmist opens up with a decision. And I would say that we need to make that same decision today. And so I'm not going to wait for the close of the sermon to actually have a little bit of a response time. I'd like us to bow our heads right now, if that's okay. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. Is that all right? I'm, I'm the preacher. You should do it anyway. You think it's not right. Just follow along. It's, it's easier for me. Father God, Lord, you are good. You are a fortress in the midst of the storm. Lord, we just admit to you right now that we are in chaos. We can't beat it. It's bigger than us. It's scary. It's horrifying. It's the worst thing in the world. We don't know what to do. We suspect it's our fault that we got here and we can't pull ourselves out. God, we confess that we feel guilty. We confess that we feel afraid. We feel ashamed. God, we confess that we don't even feel like we can ask you for help. And we just plead your goodness, Lord. We claim the words of this psalm that you are a refuge. 
And so we decide not to fear. Just right now, repeat after me. Say, Lord, I will not fear. God, we trust you to honor that decision. We give that fear to you. And we commit our lives to your security. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about the second stanza. I'm going to move right on. We're going to have a response time after number two as well. Let's talk about when the worst is about to happen. It hasn't happened yet, but it's knocking on the door. Verses four to seven. Doesn't sound like that's what it's about originally, but it is. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her, and her there is the whole city, when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Shrink it. That's still pretty long. Let's shrink it again. There we go. And let's talk about it. This stanza and the next are best understood as being inside a city that's under siege. Okay? Think about the Assyrians outside the wall. You're at the wall looking down. They're scary. And this psalm was probably written in that scenario. So I want you to have the image in your mind of Minas Tirith from the Lord of the Rings, all right? And every, all the armies are in front of them. And Minas Tirith is the most secure place in the world, right? I mean, it's built into the side of a mountain. And yet they're afraid, aren't they? Gandalf and, and all those guys, they are a little nervous. It doesn't matter how secure their city is. They're wondering, is this city enough? We need something else here because that enemy is vast, all right? And if you look on a map, if you're super nerdy, and you look on a map from the Lord of the Rings, and I apologize for this next slide. I had to blow it up. You'll notice that there's something right by Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith is in the center. Does anybody notice something in the center-ish part of that? A big, fat river, right? The River Anduin. Minas Tirith, the most secure place in the world, has a giant river right by it. Why is that? Well, the great preacher Spurgeon has an answer for us in his commentary on this chapter. He says that the great fear of an eastern city in a time of war was that the water supply should be cut off during a siege. No-brainer. If that were secured, the city could not hold out against attacks for an indefinite period. So in this verse, Jerusalem, which represents the church of God, is described as well-supplied with water. Why is that important, Anthony? Because Jerusalem didn't have a dang river. It's in the middle of the desert. So what is this guy talking about? There's a river that makes glad the people of God. No, there's not. They're under siege in the middle of the desert with no water. Except he's making a very definite point that compared to the presence of our God, God is in the midst of this city. Compared to that, what's a river? We got a river. Oh, we've got a river. We've got a river you guys don't know about. And it fills us with joy. When? What did the first stanza say? Though the ocean is rising and the mountains are falling down. You look at us and you see a city that's trapped in the middle of the desert, and I'm telling you, we've got a river. We've got a river. And it's imagined here as the favor and the grace, and I would add the very presence of God. God is the source of favor and strength for Jerusalem. If God will not be moved and God is in the city, the city will not be moved. And then lastly, it adds that God will help us when morning dawns. What does that imagery mean? Guys, Morning is when battles often began. That's when everybody got up, the battle lines were formed, and you fought. And the psalmist is saying, chill out. We've got a river you can't see, and as soon as the sun comes up, we're going to get help. 
The Bible speaks of this figuratively as well. Psalm 35. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. In the morning. I might be skipping ahead here. I can't see my slides. But I want to tell you what happened after Hezekiah prayed. He gets that letter. He lays it down before the Lord. And Isaiah, the great prophet, hears in the spirit, apparently, that Hezekiah has, has humbled himself before the Lord. And he sends word to Hezekiah and says, Hey, buddy. It's, it's long. I won't read the whole thing. He says, God wants you to know he's glad you asked him. He's got this. Don't sweat him. That's the New Anthony version. <laughs> Here's what happens at the end. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come up before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose, when do you think that happened? In the morning, they looked out and behold, there were only dead bodies. Not counting the king. The king of Assyria wasn't killed by the Lord. He went home humiliated and he was killed by his own sons in the temple of his God who wasn't actually a God at all. Is that winning? Is that God helping you in the morning? So here's my question. Where I'm not going to go there yet. Where, what happened to the impending doom? Worst, worst case scenario, right? Worst nation in the world. They're conking everybody. What happened? Well, he, he speaks a word, word and the earth melts. 185,000 like that. And another interesting thing here is it says that the nations rage and totter. To rage means to be in a commotion, a tumult, an uproar. The nations are tottering. It means they're slippery, wavering, falling, or out of course. This is chaos. The very chaos Israel doesn't have to worry about. The psalmist wants you to know part of God being your security means he can throw your enemies into chaos. It's not just that you don't have to worry about chaos in your life. He wants to bring chaos and the enemies of his faithful. He wants to bring it, and he's able. God destroys the impending doom with a word. So, is there impending doom in your life? Maybe the worst isn't happening. But let me tell you what. I have been through two custody battles, and it felt like every day was impending doom. Every day. Keith, shut your ears. You're too young to remember this. No, it turns out it was all... You know, it's really weird. I remember the phone call, and I won't go into details because it's personal. But has anybody, and you can raise your hands if you want, has anybody ever been in any type of legal trouble where you're getting letters and official notices and phone calls and like, yeah, like that is different, man. That's not like calling in and having your boss mad at you. That is a different world, man, when there's an actual guy in a black robe who expects to be, you to be there at a set time. Whoa, did not appreciate that. Months and months and months of incredible stress I've never experienced. One phone call, and it was gone. One phone call, and it was gone. He makes the earth melt with a word. Anybody ever had somebody call and threaten to collect or garnish your wages? Don't raise your hand. I have. Forgot all about it. It was like a $7,000 debt. Thought I consolidated everything. Get a phone call. They're like, this is your last warning. What are you even talking about? 
Don't play dumb with us. We need our money. We need it tonight. Get it somehow or we're garnishing your wages. This happened. If you've not been there, it's hard to describe the emotions that will rise up to have A, somebody talking to you like that, and B, realize they have the authority to do that. I mean, you feel victimized, you feel sick, you feel angry, you feel desperate. Nothing happened. Guys, they, this is inexplicable. You probably won't think this is even real. I never heard from them again. I got a letter from the IRS saying that I didn't file enough taxes because I didn't claim several thousand dollars worth of income. Where, what? What? They forgave the debt. They just forgave it. Instead of garnishing my wages, they said, ah, heck, forget it. We'll just forgive the debt. And it counted back as income, and I had to pay taxes on it, and that's how I found out. A word, one phone call, impending doom can go away. If God is your security, you need to believe that stuff like that can happen. And when you got off the phone and that person said those things and talked to you that way and threatened you with that, and oh my gosh, it's the end. You don't know that. Dude in the lighthouse. Think about it. Leaning against the wall, hands in his pockets. This isn't his first storm. Guys, let's pray right now. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, I don't think I see anybody in this room who has been through only one storm. None of us have had only one storm. We've been through several. Oh, Jesus. There is impending doom, and it could have a lot to do with a lot of stuff in our life, but we trust you to conquer it. We know that you can get rid of it with a word. We trust you to do that. Thank you, God, that you are our security. Even though we're surrounded, we seem trapped, and we have nowhere to go, there is a river that makes glad the city of God and us too, and we choose to put our eyes on that in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. I have here a list of some things that could cause impending doom in your life, but we'll skip it. You need to know that God will help you when the morning dawns. You need to know that. Peace through total victory. Last one. It is hot in here. You guys are doing great. I'm probably a little over, but that's all right. This is my favorite one. Let's read the last few verses. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now that doesn't sound charming, admittedly, unless he's mad at everybody that's mad at you. Then it's kind of nice. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. This is absolute and total victory. The NIV actually translates chariots as shields. You know what that means? That means that this impending doom, this chaos, this great thing that's threatening your life is not only completely weaponless, it's defenseless. Defenseless. With no shields, you can attack them. This is absolute and total victory. And it ends with these great words. Be still and know that I'm God. Who has heard that quoted like this? Just be still. Just be still and rest in Him. And just know that He's God. That's accurate. You can do that. And you can find that in other places in the Bible. But you need to know that that's not coming out of this place in the Bible. That is not what that means. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is a command. Different commentators translate it this way. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say that be still means leave off to oppose me and vex my people. I am over all for their safety. Sounds good in the old English, doesn't it? Here's Spurgeon's take on this. Hold off your hands, ye enemies! Exclamation point. Sit down and wait in patience, ye believers! Exclamation point. Acknowledge that Jehovah is God, and ye who feel the terrors of his wrath. 
exclamation point. Here's the modern day English translation. To the enemies, he's saying, sit down and shut up. And to us, he's saying, hold my grape juice and watch this. I mean, that's for real. That pretty much sums up this whole song. Oh, but you don't understand the oceans and the enemies and the Assyrians. Like, just hold this. Check this out. You know, guys, it's time for us to realize the end result. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How do you think he's going to accomplish that? Well, it has a lot to do with the size of the doom that's impending in your life. Because when the worst is happening, or when you're surrounded with impending doom, you need to have a realization. This will be your huge lights on moment. God is about to show off. He actually likes those times. I, sometimes in my life I've wished that he didn't like them so often and so close together. But he likes it. He likes coming through. He likes you saying, wow, God, you're my hero. You're my hero. So here's the final challenge, okay? When the worst is happening, when the enemy is around the gate, when the doom is impending, right then, be ready to praise. Right then, be ready to praise. Why? Because it doesn't have anything to do with the ocean rising. It doesn't have anything to do with how big the enemies are. It has to do with what your fortress is. And if God is your fortress, if God is your security, then you just need to chill out. You can chill out. Because the waves become irrelevant when you are confident in your fortress. Can we get a hearty amen from everyone in this room, please? Amen. amen. I'm going to give it to Shamrock to close. Thank you, guys.